Quite a frightening picture on this first slide. Um, there's the false god Moloch, uh, Babylonian gods, where they would actually, um, yeah, they would basically sacrifice their children to it. They would heat them up really hot and lay their children in. I'm kind of glad we don't do these things like that anymore. But again, give us a chance, and I guess we will return to those things. Um, the Israelites, who are supposed to worship God, the God of life, the God of love, agape God, you know, the God of rightness, goodness, good life. They, they stopped worshiping that God to worship that God? I mean, come on. I mean, I, I understand watch, worshiping the God of the East Enders is pretty despicable, but that God? What is up with that? So today it's part two. I was trying to get all in last week, but I couldn't because it was just, it was pretty heavy. We're talking about ethics and morality, and I'm not just talking about Christian ethics and morality. I'm talking about ethics and morality as it's even understood in, in universities and colleges and around the world today. But I particularly want to look at, what, because we're talking about ethics and morality. We're talking about, just a reminder from last week, we're talking about the good life. This is what Aristotle and Plato and, gosh, even the modern philosophers are, are doing. They're, they're, you know, the, the hedonists, the... the um, Utilitarianists, all these people are thinking, how do we have a good life? In a part of that good life, I think one of the big, big issues that comes up, it's, it's, it's even, it's a Christian concept, you know, the golden rule. Jesus says to love others, you know, or treat others, rather, treat others as you would want them to treat you. So really good ethical premises. And so we're talking about ethics and morality. What we're talking about is how we... I, I, I believe it's more than just getting along with other people. Because we're talking about the good life. We're also talking about how do you take care of yourself, right? And, of course, the, you know, like the, you know, the Epicureans would, you know, would, would try to avoid pain you know, as much as possible. You know? And then you have the modern you know, hedonists would, would, would look at that, but they would also add on adding pleasure to it. So, so avoiding pain and pursuing pleasure, which sounds really good. So, again, it's about how, how do I live my life? What's the good life? And a big part of that is how you treat others. So we're talking about ethics and moralities. That's what we're talking about. So here, in Acts 15, 28, the, the, the church in Jerusalem, the council, sent back a letter and, and two representatives from the church in Jerusalem. And then they asked the, the church in Antioch to do these things. They call them requirements. But really... There's, these things aren't requirements in that they give you, you know, a right relationship with God. Makes you superior, you know, religiously. Makes you closer to God. No, because they already dealt with that issue with circumcision in the law of Moses. They said nothing can give you a right relationship with God except for coming to Jesus and taking the gift of grace through faith. So having a right relationship with God is easier than living an ethical, moral life. And the reason why I think it's important for the church today is the church today, for a lot of people, their moral mind is in neutral. 
that it's idle. They just think, well, if I'm cool with God, then I should be cool with everyone else via just, you know, cause and effect. And the thing is, in a certain extent, that's good. If you have a right relationship with God, it should motivate you and give you the, the steam and the energy to, to, to live a, a good life and treat other people. And so that's why we say if a person doesn't treat people really well, if you're a tyrant, then we wonder, are you really walking with God? And that's, that's justified. And then we term that we used, we saw that last week, was fruit. Jesus said, you'll know them, and you'll know their hearts because of their fruit. And the fruit means behavior. You know, behavior, how they act, how they treat others, how they live their life, you know. And so there is a connection between your state and your relationship with God and the way you treat others. But when we're talking about ethics and morality, we're mostly talking about how we, how we live our lives and how we treat each other, you know, and ourselves. So here, in regards to this, they say, you are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols. Now, again, culturally speaking, this might sound a bit bizarre to us today. But if you look at the heart of these requirements, all these suggestions, it'll make sense. And, and there's a universal principle here. There's, there's something that transcends culture. But culturally speaking, it was important for them at that time to do these things. So avoid food, sacrifice from idols, from black pudding. <laughs> Again, you guys can eat it. Me and my head, I can't get my head around it, but you guys can eat all you want. That's a cool thing. Again, I said it last week, I'll say it again. All the religions, many world religions have special diets, okay? Jews have kosher, you know, Islam has halal. Christians don't have their own religious food. Why? Because we're free to eat anything we want. And it shows. As long as we don't, as long as it doesn't offend the conscience, as long as you eat something that doesn't make you feel like you're doing something wrong or, or stumbling another person. So we're free. That's what Paul says, I could eat anything I want. But the thing is, if it's going to cause someone else to stumble, and I think for our culture nowadays, the big one is the, the, the whole teetotal debate. I'm free to drink all the beer I want. I love beer. Yummy. Mm, fishy homebrew. But however, if I'm with another person who's an alcoholic and he's trying to recover from that and he's like thinking, oh, I don't want to be around that, then is it right for me to be in their face drinking it? Again, what are my ethics and moralities? If it causes a person to stumble, it's not right. And that's, I think, how Christians live and how Christians ought to live. Again, a golden rule due to others. If you were like trying to kick the, the smoking tobacco and you have someone sit there, so anyways, Leona, I'm just joking. <laughs> how you doing, you know? You'd be like, um, I'm not going to hang out with you because you're causing me to stumble, right? And so it's common sense, really. And that's the cool thing about Christianity is, it is a lot of it's common sense. So, Black pudding, meat strangled, okay, fine, from blood and from meat strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. So again, these aren't laws. You must do these things to be right with God. This is in the talking about how do, you, how do you treat each other? How do you get along? So we're talking about moral or ethics and morality. Next slide, please. I'm missing a slide, but that's okay. I'll just look up here. Read that, or I dropped it on the way here. Yeah, probably. So, these are requirements. We, we talked about this before. These requirements are not, again, they're not about salvation. We have, we have salvation theology. Again, Romans and Galatians talks about how you were right with God. We're right through, we're right with God because of the work Jesus Christ did on the cross. He was a sacrifice that made us right with God. Now we can walk in. We cannot work. We cannot live good enough and work hard enough to do it on our own. We needed 
the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb, we sung, we sung about the Lamb of God, we need Jesus to be that sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice to give us a right relationship with God. So now we have a right relationship with God, our life starts to change, but we also have, we can't be idle, we can't be passive, we have to be thoughtful about our lives. How do I live a life after God, an active-minded, moral-minded life? How do I live a life after God? How do I treat other people? How do I deal with a society the government, the laws of the government. How do I do these things? So you have to be intelligent. You have to engage with these things and consider, you know, how now does a Christian engage with these norms and societies? So it's not about salvation. It's about having a right relationship with God. It's about morality, doing what is right, specifically when it comes to how you ought to live for yourself and treating other people. If we make these things, these requirements, about salvation, that we come as little legalists. You know, oh, I'm, I'm right with God because I do these things, but you're not right with God because you eat black pudding. <laughs> I mean, how would you hate if I said that? You eat black pudding so you're not close to God. That's legalism. That's rubbish. We'll have none of that. Paul had none of that. The church had none of that. Which brings us back to the problem, of course, with circumcision. That was what they were debating. Should we force the Gentiles, who didn't grow up with that culture, to now take on this culture. And by the way, it's a pretty gross culture, the circumcision. But it's not just about that. It's about all the law of Moses. Should we force them to carry this burden that even we couldn't carry? And they said, no, we can't. We, we, we've never, we, we, we failed at carrying these, this burden of the law. So why should we expect some other culture group to do it? You know, God has made it very clear that knowing him was all about knowing Jesus. So let's not muck up the water with these things that are only going to turn people into little legalists, i.e. self-righteous people or broken people. Because when you're a legalist, you're either you're self-righteous or you're broken. You're never happy <laughs> because you're either not good enough or you're too good. You know what I'm saying? So we don't want that. We want to avoid that. Next slide, please. So let's look at these principles and break them down. So the first one is abstaining from food sacrificed to idols. And we have to ask our questions, the question, why? How culturally does, does, does this apply to us? And again, it's very clear from what we've been reading in context in, in, in Acts chapter 15. It's not because of the law. It's not because the law says so. It's because it's not right to prioritize anything before God. To put anything before God. And this makes it really easy for our culture. What things do we put before God? What things do we love more than God? What things takes our time away from us? What things do keeps us away from being with God? That's an idol, simply put. So the question should be, how can we as Christians rightly, this has nothing to do with your salvation, it has nothing to do with your place in heaven, it has to do with how do we live our lives? How can a Christian rightly support anything that takes people away from knowing and following God. And so when we start thinking about the, 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 our time spent throughout the week, and we think about, should I do this, should I do that? Ask that question, my Christian, is it right for me to support this thing? Is it taking people away from church, away from their fellowship, away from reading their Bible, away from having a good relationship with God? Is this, is this detrimental to people's living a right life, a good life? Or even just knowing God full stop and having a relationship with him. God wants to be first. He wants to come first. And that's the whole idea about this food sacrifice to idol and supporting these things. And again, idols are those things that are not God. 
that give purpose and meaning to lives. And the thing is, I think about myself, my family, I love my family. In, in a sense, it gives me purpose and meaning in my life. You know, I love my music. And in a sense, that gives me purpose and meaning to my life. But my family, God comes first. My music, God comes first. And, and what it does, believe it or not, it actually makes my experience with my music and my experience with my family and friendships like that more valuable more valuable. Because I'm like, I'm so glad that God gave me my family. I'm so glad God gave me my friends, my music. And so when I do my music, it's richer. When I'm, when I'm taking care of my family, it's richer. As opposed to like, I don't even know if there's a point to any of this. Why should I bother with my family? Why should I take care of my family? In fact, I'm going to go make a new family somewhere else with some other woman because I'm sick of them. I've had them for too long. You know what I'm saying? No, I said there's value. I look at them as a gift from God. But I have to have a mind that's set on God. So I can appreciate these things, but I don't worship them. I appreciate my music. I appreciate art. Heck, I even appreciate a TV program. But I don't put it before God. And it, I think, adds value to these activities. I, you guys know how much I love my music. Oh, I love it. But the thing is, even if I'm playing God music or my own music or secular music, I don't care what it is. If I'm playing it, I think that God, I thank you, God, that first of all, I've, that you've given human beings minds that can make music and create. I thank you, God, that you've given us these wonderful things and an ability to find how electronics work and how you know, electrons travel around from, you know, on wires and stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's magic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take advantage of that. And I'm going to love God. I'm going to appreciate God through it. And I think it makes my music, my art, my crafts, again, my relationships, both my family and my friends, my work, my occupation, my vocation, all these things are a lot more meaningful than just, say, a paycheck. Because I'm doing something with purpose and with meaning. Next slide, please. From blood, from the meat strangled by animals. So again, why? Not because of the law but because it's not right to be cruel or offensive. And this is a bit controversial. Animals strung, I mean, even like if you take like the Hallel thing, you know, when they cut the animal, they believe they do it in the most humane way possible. They say a prayer and they kill the animal quickly as opposed to strangling an animal and being cruel to animal. So that's a bit controversial. But the thing is though, are we as people prone to cruelty? And being offensive. Because there's also the cultural. For instance, for the Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, they're, and this is, by the way, not the law of Moses. This is Genesis. This is before Moses. This is before Abraham. This is God speaking to Noah. This is what he said in Genesis 9 1. That God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. All the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry about the ground. That's the haggis, by the way. The little animal that scurries around the ground. So it's okay to eat haggis. And all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. Especially when I'm coming. A lobster, when he sees me coming, he looks at me with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food. Just as I've given you grain and vegetables. But for some reason, in verse 4, he says, You must never eat any meat that still has a lifeblood in it. He told, and I don't know if it's a health thing. I don't know if it's a cleanliness thing. I don't know if it's a ritual thing. Because later on, he starts to establish the, um, the, the temple ceremonies. And he asks the blood for himself. So maybe he wants to reserve the blood for himself. Because again, when the sacrifice was made, the blood was shed. And the animal was consumed. But 
the priests could take little bits of it for themselves, for the service, but they couldn't touch the blood. Why, again, think about the whole idea of physics and energy and everything else. Think about it. There's a current running through your body. And what's the conduit of that current? Your veins. And what's the current itself? The blood. It's what gives you life. If the blood stops moving your body, what happens to you? So you can lose a, a bit of flesh. You can lose a bit of meat. And I can lose, lose a whole lot of fat. However, and even some hair, some more than others. I'm not going to say anything. You know, <laughs> however, however, the blood, you need the blood. And you know, if you lose a little bit of blood, you start to feel a little bit faint. If you lose a lot of blood, you're in danger. So something about the blood. And then, of course, in context, has to do with, look at, look at this interesting the next verse in context. And I require the blood of anyone who takes any person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And if anyone who murders a fellow human must die. It, it, if anyone takes a human's life, the person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings. So again, justice. He's dealing with, 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 with ancient primal justice, basically, here. But blood, life's in the blood. And he wants to do is prevent cruelty. Also, for the, for the Jewish Christian, you know, at this time, who was very familiar with the Pentateuch, the, the Moses, the law of Moses, they would know because even in Levitical law, they, made a, they, they expound on these principles. So, again, it's cultural. So if you know that you're going to go in someone's house and you're going to do something to offend them, the advice from the church here to the, to the in Jerusalem, to the church in, in Antioch, is don't be offensive. Don't hang out with people and wind them up, basically. And you know what? If you know they're going to be offended by you sitting there munching on a raw bit of black pudding. Sorry, I have to go back to that. Okay, fine. Teresa. Um, Teresa's got blended too, I think. So you tell them, which I love Teresa, by the way. You, t- you know, don't do that if it's going to like, uh, you know. And for us, I think the culture more or less is kind of like with things like tobacco and, 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 and alcohol. You know, you, you're free to do it, but you're not free to wind someone up, you know, by putting it in their face. Does that make sense? And so again, it's about how to get along with other people. Do not cause anyone to stumble. The intention is to unite Various cultures. The church is being born. The church is new. And we've got various cultures starting to come together. The church now, is, it, it's an old pro when it comes to melding cultures. But back then, it's kind of like, uh-oh, what's going on here? Uh-oh, what's happening here? You know, we've got the, the Jews, and then they're letting us in without the law of Moses. And we're, what's going on here? So he's saying, just be, got to be cool with each other. You've got to be cool. Don't stumble each other. Don't offend each other. So that makes sense ethically, doesn't it? And the last one, which is a no-brainer, sexual immorality. Why? Not because of the law, but because it's immoral. That's the word, immorality. And here's a funny thing about this. A lot of people think, and I thought this too when I was in college, is like, well, it doesn't matter what I do sexually. You know, okay, yeah, I might hurt a few women on the way, but you know what? I'm having good times. But that's stupid. And the reason why is actually... According to the Bible and according to experience, sexual morality hurts yourself. It hurts yourself more than others. It, it dep- it's depressing if it's not right, if it's not meaningful. It's, you know, it, it's, it's short bits of pleasure, but, but it's not satisfying. It's not rich. That value is talking about like appreciating healthy relationships. If you have a whole string of unhealthy, broken relationships, that's just going to frankly depress you. And harm you in the mind and even in the body. And not to go talk about the body because we know that there's, you know, that things can happen. 
First Corinthians 6.12 says this, I have the right to do anything. And I love young Christians. I can do whatever I want. You can't tell me. Okay, yeah, on you go. But not everything is beneficial. And that's what he's talking about. Ethics, what I ought and ought not to do. Yeah, you can do anything you want, but not everything's beneficial. Not everything's good for you. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Oh, think about that. Are you a slave to your desires and your passions? Do you feel like, I have to do this. I just have to do it. If you do that, then you're not free. You're addicted. Don't be mastered by anything. You see, food's for the stomach and stomach for the food. And God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality. Think about that. If God's speaking here and God's giving us some information about what reality is, he's saying, your body's not meant for these things. Not meant for sexual immorality, but it's meant for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. But by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Talk about the resurrection. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with pornea? Here also he's talking not just about myself, but I am myself am a member of a greater body. And that greater body is a church. So I'm hurting. So again, it does affect yourself, but it does also affect others. We know that. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, and if you're a part of a bigger body called the church, then you're not taking care of them, and we're all going to feel the effects. So again, Christian ethics, what we ought to do, how do we care for each other and ourselves. The reason why I put the word porne, except for, except for the word maybe, I think it would be prostitute or immoral woman, and again, he's using it from that, that gender perspective only because he's kind of thinking, you know, kind of the, in that time they had the, 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 the temple prostitutes, basically. And that was very common in that culture. That part of the worship was you would, you would visit a temple prostitute. That was a part of what they did. That was a cultural thing. But he's saying, I don't know if you guys should be doing that anymore. And the word pornay is interesting. It's also where we get the word pornography. So today, temple worship may not be very common, but we all know how rampant free pornography is today. I mean, who here has a computer with a modem? I mean, give me a break. We all know how easy it can be to stumble that. And it's not just that. Jesus says if you even look upon a woman hanging about, dressed with her fancies, you know, walking down the street, and you're checking her out a little bit, you know, what you're doing to your heart and your mind is you're lusting. And, and it's equivalent to having, you know, an affair if you're married. He talked about, called it adultery. And he was convicting the self-righteous Pharisees. Did you think you guys are good because you aren't sleeping with the temple prostitutes, but you're checking them out, basically, right? So again, it's the mind, it's the heart. Mind, the heart. So that's why I use this word, because you have to decide for yourself what is sexual and moral. And I hate to say it, you guys are all smart enough to know when you're doing things you're not supposed to do. You know what it is. I don't have to, say, I don't have to list it out. This is the beautiful thing about Christianity. We're free to think for ourselves. We're free to analyze how effective and efficient our relationship is with God and others. We don't have to have a, a list of do's and don'ts. Because you know, it's called consciousness. So do, not, do you not know that he who unifies himself with the porne is one who is one with her in body? There's one thing I do want to say. The, the, the thing is, the, the idea of porne is also is the, the concept of selling oneself out is also part of that as well. Selling one out. 
You know, if a woman is meant to be in a really healthy, pure, wonderful relationship that God's established for, you know, time, but yet she's selling herself out for something cheap, you know, taking goods or exchange of goods for, you know, devaluing her body. That's the, another part of the concept. So it is quite a sad idea, quite a sad concept. So again, for it is said the two will become one flesh, talking about the right usage of, of sex, two becoming one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit, flee from sexual morality. So the idea is if you're united with these people here as a body of Christ, and you're united with God through your relationship with God that's been freely given to you, should you poison the water, so to speak? All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Again, God has freely, for those who have faith in him, God has freely given his spirit to, 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 to actually dwell within them. It's a free gift. Now that you have that, how much do you value that? Is it important to you or is it cheap? If it's important to you, then you're going to consider these things and go, I don't want to pollute the temple of God. Imagine that. Before Jesus, you had to go travel to the temple and you weren't even allowed in. Seriously, you wouldn't even, and if you're a woman, you wouldn't even allow around it practically. Seriously. So be glad that not only are you allowed in the temple, so to speak, you are the temple. Wow. That's what Jesus has done for you guys. Do you value that or not? Is the question. So when you think about that, issues of what you should do with your body are a no-brainer. You know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You're bought at a price. And what's that price? Jesus died on the cross for you. That's the price. You didn't have to pay a thing. It's called a ransom. And Jesus was the advocate. He's the one who went and stepped up and said, I want to rescue these people. So I will be, I'll pay the price of their sin. Good. Now you have the gift. You have a right relationship with God. His Holy Spirit lives within you. Did we sing a song about that today? Yeah, I think we did. Therefore, honor God with your bias. I love how they use logic. Therefore, it's like a syllogism. Therefore, honor God. With your bodies. Next slide, please. And we're almost done, guys. Just give me a few minutes. So the next last, next, next bit, now we're back in Acts 15. Sorry, it seemed like I went off on a tangent there, but I felt like it's important things to talk about the church today. Because these are topics that churches don't usually talk about, believe it or not, guys. But, but you know what? We're a challenging church. We challenge ourselves. And you know what? I hope you like it. I hope, it's, I hope you go home with something. Because you can go to a lot of churches that won't do this. They'll talk about how great you are and how wonderful you are and just go out and, and, and be happy people and smile. But you know what? We want to talk about real issues sometimes. And here, this, this church was very, and Antioch was very happy to receive their moral lessons. So I have to ask us in this room, how do you receive your moral lessons? Does it make you happy or does it bum you out and bring you down? Well, look at how the, how the church Antioch received their moral lesson. Again, we're in Acts 15, verse 30. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Encouraging. How do you feel about 
that letter and how it told you you should abstain from sexual morality? Does it make you feel glad and encouraged? Or do you feel bummed out and oppressed? And it's interesting how perspective can be, can, you know, how strong a thing perspective is. Now, again, they probably were very happy not to be circumcised. You know, that's for sure. And that was very encouraging, I'm sure, for them. And not have to be bound by the law of Moses. But there was also these requirements, you know, and they said, hey, we'll take it. We'll do it. It makes sense. You know what I'm saying? It makes sense. If this is for the good of all of us, if I can live the golden rule to treat other people like I want to be treated, and this is all I have to do, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. I I think the payoff is worth it. That's why they were glad and they were encouraged. The word encouraged or encouraging means a calling near, a summons for help or especially for help. Importation, supplication, entreaty, exhortation, admonition, encouragement, consolation, comfort, solace, that which comforts or refreshment. I like this. The reason why is when I used to think about the word encouragement, I always thought about like building up someone else. Like, yeah, you on you go, you go do that. You you do that thing if that makes you feel happy. But encouragement's stronger. It's it's being a team player. It's bringing people in and saying, yeah, we're together on this. And what you do, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm with you. You're you might be doing it, but I'm I'm, I'm reaping the benefits. So I'll keep going. We're together. We're, we're we're walking together. We're in Koinonia. We're a community. And so I want you to succeed because we're the body of Christ. I want you to succeed. The more you succeed, the more I succeed. And Graham should say that about you guys. The more you succeed, the more he succeeds. Gary should say that. The more you succeed, the more he succeeds. Does that make sense? So we want to build each other up. We want to see each other strengthening because the more we're strengthened, the more, you know, the more we plural, the more we singular. <laughs> I know it's not singular, but you're not know getting it. You know, the more we as a group, the more we as individuals. So Judas and Silas, who, were, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers there in Antioch. After spending some time there, they uh, were sent off by the believers with the blessings of peace to return to those who sat, sent them. So we returned back to Jerusalem. There's 34 appears to be blank, but there's 35 says, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch. Uh, were some manuscripts don't have verse 34, so I'm using the NIV. But some of you guys might have something about someone remaining, like Barnabas remaining. Silas remaining, there you go. It's, there you go. Some, some, some read it, some don't. Okay. But anyway, so Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word Lord. Taught and preached. Isn't this funny? Because think about the word. What's, what's the difference between teaching and preaching? I think it has to do with everything we learned the last few weeks. It has to do with salvation doctrines, theologies versus ethics and morality. You know, what, what is and what we ought to do. So preaching is what is. The kingdom of heaven's at hand. God loves you. God is good. God has saved you. That is reality. But teaching, that's preaching. Teaching is now it's time to grow up. This is what we ought to do. This is what we ought to do. Why? Because it's simply right. So again, the word for teaching, didasco, to hold discourse with others in order to instruct them, deliver didactic discourses, which means moral instructions. So you see how, see the different distinction? So it's not enough just to receive one. We've got to receive both. We've got to receive how reality is, 
but also now how ought we ought to engage with reality. And then you have Yuanga Leo, or Yuanga Li So, sorry, to bring good news, to announce glad tidings, instruct concerning the things that pertain to Christian salvation. So my way I look at that is this is the way how things are. God's doing things, God's doing things, he's gonna to continue to do things, you can't stop God. Can't stop God. You can? No one can. He's too powerful. But he's doing things, and we can enjoy it, appreciate it, love it, embrace it. That's why I say preaching is just talking about the way things are, as opposed to teachings, you know, which is what we do on midweek Bible studies. We should do it regularly. We should listen to podcasts about it. And certainly I try to do a lot of it on Sunday morning when I can. Teaching, how we ought and ought not to live. And we are, I believe, finished with the last slides. I apologize for going over as usual. So here is the good news, my friends. God loves you. And by his grace, you have been saved if you have faith. That's what Romans and Galatians, those books in the Bible, are all about. You have faith, you're saved by his grace. It's a gift from God. How awesome is that? You don't have to work for it. You don't have to cut parts of your body off, praise God for it. You don't have to follow Moses for it. You just... Through faith, trust in God. This is through and only through us on Jesus Christ. Now be encouraged to, so again, courage, we're a team. We have a vision, we have a mission. We want to grow together. So we want to be encouraged to set your mind on Christ. Think about these things. Romans, write these things down if you're note takers. Romans 12, 2, Colossians 3, 2, Ephesians 4, 23. These are very important scriptures that talk about changing your mind for Jesus, training your mind how to think appropriately. So again, not being passive moral-minded people, but being active moral-minded people to live right lives for the sake of yourself and others. Hope that makes sense, how we're looking at two different things about you know, the salvation issues, salvation theology is about our right relationship with God. But when we talk about ethics and morality, which we ought to do in churches, we're talking about how we ought to live rightly for ourselves, living what's called classically the good life, you know, and also living rightly with others in our community. And not just our church buddies, our families who hate us, our friends who wind us up, our neighbors who drive us mental. No offense, Linda, I think you're great. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? This is, it's not just the people you like. How do you live right with everyone in your society and your community?